The boys are in the starting stalls. Moods, Mytho, Rog and the Rain Man. Stand by for a start for Moody on the mic. Welcome back to another edition of Moody on the Mic, the final one for this season. But don't worry, we're only going to be having a couple of weeks off. I'm Roger Aldridge. Joining me, as they always do, the 54-time Group 1 winning trainer, Peter Moody. G'day, Moods. And the 51-year-old trainer as of tomorrow as well, Rog. My, my birthday right. tomorrow, just before the start of the new uh, racing season. But uh, great to be with you again. Uh, looking forward to having a couple of weeks hiatus as we freshen up for a big spring carnival ahead of us. Yeah, it's good that your parents did the breeding right at the start of the horse breeding season. And uh, I know you were an 11 month. Were you an 11 month gestation? Because uh, you were. You're a big boy. Uh, <laughs> well, I have a chat to Tom about that because uh, he, he knows the gestation period. Uh, he's just gotten through that. But no, I think I was a normal baby, Rog. And uh, the day before the horses probably would have been more apt if it was on the horse's birthday. But I'm happy with the 31st of July. And. Looking forward to being a year older and wiser again tomorrow in a sticky situation here in downtown Victoria. We're usually wearing Darwin for your birthday moods, but unfortunately not this year. Now, Anthony Mithen will get you to take your, your mute off because of a few little audio issues, but uh, welcome to you. Some technical issues out here at Shadow de Rosemont this morning, uh, but uh, anyway, we'll press on through. So, moods, it was 12 months ago to, to, the, to the day that we were um, gathered around the beautiful pool there in South Belgrave and... Um, Luke Nolan got absolutely spazzo. That's right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, Luke was the last one to leave. We had the big 50th there. We had the bonfires going and uh, we, had a, we had a great time, uh, uh, a great gathering of good people. Uh, Mitho, unfortunately, it's not going to happen this year. We can, uh, we're going to have a Palmer night at home with my wife and my three daughters and uh, get, uh, go and pick up some Palmers from the local pub from the takeaway department. <laughs> Oh, there could be worse ways to celebrate your birthday. I'm sure there'll be a, a long neck of 4X in there as well. Moods, uh, speaking of 4X, let's head to Queensland. Uh, Tom Hackett, how you going, Rome man? I'm flying, Rog. Uh, Richmond had a big win over your Bulldogs last night. Alice slept very soundly last night. And we've got racing at the Valley on Saturday. So it's tick, tick, tick for me. Life could not be any better. <laughs> oh, happy days, yeah. The, the less said about the football last night, the better from uh, two Richmond supporters on here. Anyway, uh, moving It's on. the small things. It's the small things that entertain Ray, man, isn't it? Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's had something small to entertain himself for the last uh, 30 odd years, so that's uh, just as well. Um, mm. Now, let's just look at the obviously, as we mentioned, it is the end of the racing season. We know all the premierships and that have been decided. Uh, the training premiership in Victoria. Uh, has gone to the Hayes, Hayes, Dabernick. And just, it's pretty apt, I suppose, moods that David Hayes has now moved overseas because uh, is it really that he saw you were coming back and wanted to avoid it? Because um, the, <laughs> the sleeping giant is about to awaken. Ah, uh, no, I won't be mixing it in the premiership races ever again, Rog. Those days are gone. Uh, I was thankful enough to have been able to win a few of them. But uh, no, it's been a terrific season, the last half of it, obviously, in very testing times. But uh, our champion Australian trainer, Chris Waller, did a record-breaking again, and I think some $44.5 million in prize money. The emergence of the Ma Eustace stable on the national stage. They had a phenomenal run with their two-year-olds and uh, right up there in the winner's circle. Uh, Hayes, Hayes, Dabernig, I think that, that would be nearly, you know, 37 or 38 times the great Lindsay Park uh, has won the, the Victorian Metropolitan Trainers Premiership uh, um, or, or thereabouts, um, you know, through the deeds of the trainers 
And as we know, Tom Dabernig and Ben Hayes have taken over with David's uh, move to Hong Kong. So interesting times for that stable to see if they can still cement their position towards the top of the tree in Victoria. So uh, exciting times, but uh, congratulations to all premiership winners. Uh, you can't eat them if you're hungry, but it says you've had a bloody good year and you can enjoy it tonight. And Willow and Ollie just battling it out at the, for the jockeys, Metro Jockeys Premiership, as per usual. It's getting a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I suppose uh, the interesting thing this year is to see the hunger in those two blokes in the run down to the line. There was, there was no trips away to interstate carnivals, uh, certainly in the autumn and the winter. Uh, and you even see them heading off to Geelong and Wangaratta and places like that where, they, you know, sail on a Thursday afternoon where you don't usually see them. So uh, to see the hunger in those two great champion jockeys is phenomenal. And... Uh, Craig Williams, uh, he held on, I think, something for his seventh title, maybe. Uh, Damien Oliver still sits equal with uh, the great Roy Higgins. And um, there's one other jockey, I can't recall, on 11 Metropolitan wins. So he still hasn't broken away and set his own record there yet. But uh, um, we spoke... Uh, uh, a little bit later in the show with uh, Jason Richardson about uh, Damien Lane returns to Mooney Valley this weekend. You know, he's probably the emerging star of Australian racing. Each year he's gone away to Japan and, and come back a better rider and uh, see how he'll hit the ground running this year. I, I know when you talk to jockeys uh, here in Victoria in particular and, uh, you know, not suggesting that Willow and Ollie are over the hill by any means, but I reckon the jockey that most young jockeys enjoy being on the back of is D Lane. He seems to find the right spot in races, and he's the emerging sort of superstar at our ranks, I think. Yeah, Moose, if you look at the figures for this year, Damien Lane's numbers are very, very impressive. He's obviously spent a lot of time, uh, he spent a lot of year in Japan. He also spent a lot of time traveling carnivals around. He still managed to finish in the top 10 in the Metro Jockeys Premiership, and he's had 32 winners for about half the rides that uh, Ollie and uh, Willow have had. And obviously, in the in this season, he has won uh, three of the four major races in Australia. So he's absolutely fine, Damien Lane. And I think you're yeah. perfectly right, Moose. He's the uh, he's the one to take that next step and be the next uh, dominant jockey in Victoria and uh, right across Australia. Yeah, and uh, we've seen uh, the other probably thing out of Sydney, the, the re-emergence of Nashville Willow, like uh, his first uh, the season back in Australian racing after his hiatus in Hong Kong and then his suspension, of course, and uh, he's really forged his way back to the top of the ranks there. And uh, we've got a very interesting scenario coming up uh, later this afternoon with champion jockey Hugh Bowman to face uh, Racing New South Wales stewards after a nasty fall uh, involving Andrew Atkins there at Rose Hill last Saturday. And uh, there are suggestions that Hugh could be in for a long break. I think uh, I haven't seen the head-on or the, or the side-on or the stewards' vision of that. I know Hugh Bowman's a great jockey and uh, uh, for people to suggest that he went out there with careless intent, I think is very wrong. He was a very competitive ride. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Hugh's situation seen by Racing New South Wales stewards there this afternoon and whether that's going to have an impact on the early part of the spring carnival for him. Moots, did you, um, there was a pile on on social media for Hugh Bowman after uh, all the deeds he's done, um, you know, his heroics with Winks. Um, we've, we've loved him for, for the best part of, um, you know, the last 10 years, really. Hugh Bowman, he's been a punter's pal. Um, I, I thought it was totally uncalled for, given he's made a mistake, yeah, but the intent was certainly not to put uh, 
um, poor Atkins on the turf and and um, and and the disappointing end to poor Danny Williams' horse as well. I mean, he would be devastated by that. We, you you know him better than most of us. Um, he he would be devastated himself, wouldn't he? Oh, for sure. There's no doubt in the world. And, and he had to put on, he went on to win that race and then win a couple more. And I think it would have been a pretty hollow feeling. And, and then people were expecting him to have an outpour of emotion at that point in time. I think he was there to do a job for the remainder of the day. And I think because people didn't see him showing maybe sorrow or disappointment during the day, he had to do a job for the rest of that day. But then I reckon if someone had a sat down with him after the races, you would have seen how much he would have been hurting. There's no, no doubt in the world. Uh, and, and for the connection of the horse that got lost. This, it was a manoeuvre that we see in every second race in Australia, a bloke third or fourth defence angling out to get around the leader's heels and uh, give himself a chance to winning. And then there was that scrimmage. Um, but like I say, without actually seeing all the stewards' footage uh, inside to out and back on and front on that stewards have access to, uh, I think it was very uh, reckless of some of those uh, social media commentators attacking Hugh like that. He rides in thousands of races each year, um, you know, and he has the respect of his fellow riders. It, it was a one-off incident, incident, well, not a one-off incident. These incidents do happen, and I'm sure he would have been uh, very regretful uh, post that. But uh, let's see what the stewards see in the other vision, just to see how much, whether the blame was solely with Hugh or whether there was movement from other horses that, that uh, brought about the fall. There's no doubt that um, it was a, it was an error by Hugh, but there's also no doubt that he was feeling hurt from it. I mean, mentally. I mean, he stood himself down. Uh, he's he's not going to ride it this weekend, regardless of the outcome of what happens this afternoon. By the time most people listen to this, they'll know the result uh, of what of what Hugh got. But he was clearly feeling emotional about it, and that's why he stood himself down. And and we've all had dealings with Hugh, like you said, Moods. Like he's a he's a good guy. There would have been no malice or intent. And a lot of those social media people potting him are speaking straight through their hip pocket. And Hugh Broman was the first person on track after the race to check on Andrew Adkins as well. But I think it just it's just yet another reminder of we often. We are, we are guilty of ourselves sometimes. We often like to uh, have a dig at a jockey here or there, but it just does go to show what a tough job they do have, where Andrew Adkins has uh, broken his leg, got broken ribs, a broken collarbone. But after looking at that, if watching that incident live, if you, if you knew that, going, that that's all he'd get, you'd be very happy. So at, at, that, at one point, it looked like it could be much, much worse. So it just shows how tough they are that they can have all these injuries that in any other sport would maybe be considered career-ending. While Andrew Adkins, he's, he's been through this before. He'll be back. And it, I think it just shows, goes to show the toughness, once again, of the, uh, the jockeys we've got in this country and around the world. Just uh, changing tack, we like to be um, news breakers here on Moody on the Mic and um, people are always interested in um, the comings and goings, the movement of horses, uh, a little bit of dispute between uh, between trainers and, and uh, which stables are sort of, you know, knock, knock, knock. Um, um, it's come to light that um, Mitch Beers had another horse stolen um, <laughs> from the stable. Um, it's headed to Pakenham, um, Nana Goon. Um, Belgrave South, to be perfectly honest, and <laughs> Peter Moody is the new trainer of his star two-year-old. It's walked out of Mitch Beer's stable after he's been a good friend of ours on Moody on the mic, straight to Peter Moody. Peter, would you he's like to explain yourself? Jeez, talking about kicking a bloke while he's down. Well, I couldn't even give you the name of the horse, Anthony, uh, to be honest, and you, could, and you obviously couldn't remember it then either, otherwise you would have named it, but uh, no, uh, Mitch Beer in difficult circumstances up there on the uh, 
the Twin Cities, Albury and Wodonga, and, and he very kindly contacted me and asked me if I would take over the training of his uh, rising three-year-old. Uh, it's a brazen now, bow, isn't it? The, it's a brazen bow that won the, um, won Jack the good Mark race. Lass. Yeah. So, uh, so he's going to head down the highway and join us here at Packenham and, uh, you know, see whether he can work, measure up to Melbourne Metropolitan grade. He trialled up there during the week for Mitch and he was very taken with him and uh, thought he had shown sufficient improvement to warrant a, a trip down here. So uh, I'll happily caretake him for Mitch for the next few months and the horse's form will decide whether he goes back and pokes around the Northern Rivers area in uh, 8 or he's a or he's a Metropolitan class galloper here. But to, and to your point there, Ray, man, it is, it's an absolute shit sandwich for a trainer like Mitch Beer at the moment. And um, I don't know whether this is chest beating from racing New South Wales, you know, us versus them, the Mexicans down south don't let their horses up. But um, they want to be very careful. It's a dangerous game because... Uh, they're going to probably need a few star acts out of Victoria to come up for their, their Sydney autumn. Uh, and, and, and their carnival will be poorer for not having Victorian trained horses uh, compete at, uh, you know, Ramwick and Rose Hill. So um, they're, they're backing themselves into a corner because there, there seems to be no real rhyme or reason to it. And there's, there's certainly some protocols that could be put in place that would let those horses go into New South Wales and still, still continue in work. Um, We've, we've got intuition um, here at Rosemont uh, for Kurt Goldman that he's wanting to get uh, ready for the Kosciuszko and he sent it to us after it ran at Caulfield here um, a, a couple of weeks ago just so that you know, it, it could stay in work because he couldn't get it back into Victoria. I mean, there doesn't seem a lot of, a lot of thought around this move. Have you, have you got the owner's number of intuition? Maybe I should give him a... <laughs> 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 No, it, 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 it certainly... Uh, certainly makes life difficult for people that want to go like the um, you know Victorian horses still have access to South Australia and South Australia's had the tightest protocols of probably any state in Australia with this COVID situation so uh, no, it certainly was a, a bit of a sharp move there on behalf of racing New South Wales and it has effect on horses but listen we went through it years ago in the EI saga as well where I know personally I had a lot of horses trapped on the New South Wales side of the border but we ultimately overcame that so Let's, let's hope that time, uh, and more sooner than later, enables uh, the movement of horses again, even if it doesn't enable the movement of the participants themselves, jockeys, stable hands and trainers, but enable uh, people to travel horses both ways. And just some genuine breaking news. Uh, Hugh Bowman has been suspended for six weeks uh, for careless riding. Stuart Sade acknowledged his role as a great ambassador for racing and his positive record, but six-week ban for Hugh Bowman for his role. In that Andrew Atkins fall. See, I knew we'd have a body in the podcast. And let's be honest, you can't break news on a podcast because by the time people listen to it, they've already it's already been around for twenty four hours. Yeah. But anyway, we did our best. Six weeks seems about fair, I reckon, Moots. Well, listen, without being able to see the full vision of it, you know, I'll take that on board. I suppose Hugh has a right of appeal. That'll be certainly up to him. And that sees him back mid September, which uh, he will still uh, be riding competitively for the bulk of the spring carnival. Like we mentioned before, we, we have already spoken to Jason Richardson, our guest, so we're just going to uh, slot that in here, and uh, as you'll find out, if uh, doesn't get involved in, until a little bit later. You're on Moody on the Mind. Introducing Switch from Ladbrokes. Switch gives you the power to pick your promotion, giving you more of what you want to bet on racing. Available on all racing codes. The power to switch things up is in your hands. Find it in your Ladbrokes locker today. 
Ladbrokes. Back yourself. T's and C supply. See labbrokes.com.au for details. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome back to Moody on the mic. Uh, hey, 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 pal. Just because you're used to hosting everything else you do, uh, this is our podcast. Jason Richardson, welcome to Moody on the mic, but just remember, you're the guest here. Mate, it is a career highlight when you sent me a text and said, can I join this wonderful podcast? I've been a huge fan of Tom. I love you, Roger. This is the best um, form analyst going around. You know, Rod, that I absolutely love you and I'm a huge fan of Mytho and the other bloke's pretty good too. So it's great to be on Mytho on the mic, mate. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, Mytho's, Mytho's gone AWOL. So Mytho's not on the mic at the moment, but uh, that's all right. We need to push on. We don't need him. We don't need him. We're struggling to get a word in anyway. But uh, look, thank, thanks for joining us, mate. And uh, obviously it's... Uh, well, even though you can't be on a racetrack at the moment, it's a busy time for you because you're still hosting all the time at racing.com and bloody, um, you know, the uh, the Channel 7 and uh, racing coverage and just about, I mean, you would be at the Olympics at the moment if, if that wasn't called off. So probably not exactly where you want to be at the moment, but uh, busy nonetheless. Yeah, I'm busy-ish, but at the same time, you know, I had a little events business, which is... Uh has uh, copped the coronavirus. So unfortunately, uh, that's in receivership. And uh, well, I was scheduled to be at Tokyo at the moment. So uh, I think everyone who was involved in that broadcast in the Olympic Games would have just been brilliant. Um, we're all a, a little sad, a little down on ourselves at the moment, but racing goes on and we're you know, really proud of everyone in racing to make sure it just keeps ticking over. Um, you know, I'm some there. We're stuck in a studio, which is far from ideal. And we're very conscious that, you know, the, the racing fans are not getting a full experience. We can't get involved with the, the stars of the sport, being the jockeys and the trainers. We're very limited as to how much we can talk to them. We can't put microphones everywhere. We can't put cameras everywhere. It's all frustrating. But the good news is that the economy of racing keeps going. So, hallelujah. Hey, Moods here, uh, Richard. Thanks for joining my show. Um, Hi, Pete. How are you, mate? Uh, one of your old colleagues. I used, to, I used to work with you there before I became a busted-ass racehorse trainer again. Um, like you say, it, it is great that our sport does continue. It, it, it's a, it shows it's a wonderful industry. We get a lot of kicks in the guts over yeah. different issues uh, that surround our industry, but surely the greater public should get an appreciation of how good racing is at this point in time, like up until the last month or so, it was the only thing that was going on before the footy and that kicked off. Yeah, you're dead right, Moods. And, uh, well, Rod, you'd be able to tell us from a, from a Ladbroke scenario, but I'm hearing from a corporate bookmaker point of view that it's every Saturday has been like Melbourne Cup-type numbers. Uh, everyone's sitting at home consuming the product. Now, whether they do that through racing.com or Sky Racing or doing it through Channel 7 when they were broadcasting the free-to-air. We've had a lot more eyeballs on our product in the last uh, three months than we've ever had before. That's frustrating um, as a broadcaster, as you guys know. You know, you'd love to be able to have the full bells and whistles and have jockey cam working really well, getting in and around all the horses, getting the, what I say, the sounds of the sport up so that everyone can appreciate it more. But... Um, that's disappointing, but the good news is that we've got, uh, hopefully, we've got a whole new consumer base that if we've entertained them and informed them and uh, interested them, hopefully we can keep them uh, engaged all the way through to the spring carnival and beyond. When you say about getting the sounds of the sport up, and obviously you've got to do things a little bit differently, so it 
for instance, giving trainers a call instead of putting a mic under their nose. And, and I suppose when you're trying to do a pre-race interview and, and you ring someone like Peter Moody and he doesn't know he's on air and he says it's just a fucking eight-start maiden, uh, life to wear. <laughs> like, I mean, they, they are great sounds of the sport, but um, probably not <laughs> ideal from a broadcaster's perspective. No, you're dead right. I mean, what I mean about the sounds of the sport is, you know, the raw, say, for example, when Pete's unbelievable mare hit the front at Mooney Valley that night and there was like there was literally a, a sellout and there's 30,000 people into a into a facility that really could only cope with 20,000 and everyone was getting annoyed because they had to queue up for their beer. I mean, what we would do to get back to that. I remember that roar that the crowd just engulfed everyone who was there when she um, entered the straight and through microphones into grandstands, that's the sound of the sport that I, you know, you look back at some of the old replays of Kingston Town and you can hear the crowd a lot more than you can nowadays. I'd love us to turn the sound of the sport up and uh, whether it be jockeys, trainers, but also the crowd. And that's what we're missing at the moment. It's really sterile. It's really quiet. So that's giving us the irrits. I'll tell, tell you one, one aspect of it that's changed a little bit. I, I know you, you, you're looking at that crowd noise and their participation, but to hear the jockeys roaring coming down the straight and, and, and you can actually hear their chatter and hear the actual hoof beats. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't get that when the people are there. So that, that, that's a, a little slight twist on it. And uh, the jockeys screaming and roaring at one another at their horses, urging them to do their best. You can hear that loud and clear now, which you can never do when the crowd noise is there. Yeah, it's a great point. And actually, remember James Innes Jr. winning his first ever Group 1 on Natoya. And um, I think one of our Channel 7 um, uh, news reporters, Michelle Bishop, actually filmed it on her phone and she could hear as soon as they hit the line in the Doncaster, the boys all looked around and saw it was uh, Jimmy and they were like, get on yeah, Jimmy, like cheering for it. You're right, Pete. If we had a big crowd, we wouldn't have ever experienced that. So that's a unique part of it. But, hey, mate, give me 30, 40, 50, 100,000 people at the races any day of the week. Yeah. Richard, how does a, how does a bloke who sort of originally was a, a sprinter and, you know, everyone knows he won Storm Gifton back in, what was it, 1990, 1991? Uh, <laughs> how, did, how, did, how did you get into racing uh, from the equine variety? Mate, I, I grew up in and around it. My grandmother um, gave me my first betting account when I was 10. God <laughs> love her. That's responsible grandparent if ever I've heard it. Well, she, she was, uh, so I was actually born in Hobart, but left when I was uh, less than one year of age. So I've been a Victorian um, throughout my whole life. But we used to travel back to Tassie about five or six times uh, a year. And my grandmother, her three brothers were all horse trainers down in Tassie. Um, Claude Best was a fantastic horse trainer up in the north of, of Tasmania and was a, a premiership winner um, and just a sensational trainer. And then her other brother, Johnny Best, owned a horse called Sunny Lane, which ran in a Melbourne Cup, won a Werribee Cup, ran third in a Hong Kong vase. Um, and some of my cousins have been jockeys. Um, six or seven cousins were jockeys over in Tassie. I don't know them very well, but uh, whether it be the Gandertons or the Larkins and the like. So I actually grew up around the vernacular and grew up around racing without A, being able to ride because um, I'm not built to be a jockey. Um, B, I wasn't surrounded by horses, but knew my you know, back in front of a form guide. So fell in love with racing and the mystique of trying to find the winner. 
And then um, I was doing some broadcasting with Channel 10. They gave me my first um, break back at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. And I was on a show called Inside Sport TV. And I morphed off that because um, someone uh, in racing knew that I knew a bit about racing and heard me through SEN radio and said, do you want to get involved in racing? So I sort of came from a TV background into racing as opposed to most of the guys who I work with at the moment are racing guys sort of learning the TV. Richo, you've been around for a long time in uh, racing, as you just said. Do you have a favourite horse? Is it a Winx or a Black Caviar or something a little more off-Broadway is uh, your personal favourite? Well, I think, you know, as much as, I mean, I admire and I just cherish the moments of Winx and Black Caviar because I was actually working through both of their eras. So that was something really, really special to me. But I reckon when we ever talk about our favourites, it's a bit like our favourite footy player, our favourite horse, I reckon it's when we were kids, when we were growing up, because that's what made us fall in love with the sport. So, you know, I'll never forget Superimpose winning um, a Cox Plate at eight years of age, you know, winning, the, you know, those big Ramwick miles. And even when I was a really, really little kid, on the same sort of age as uh, Pete, um, Kingston Town was someone that my dad spoke to me a lot about. And so he was probably the one that I first ever heard about. And then superimpose and that era of superimpose, better loosen up, uh, let's elope, um, all going toe to toe, vo rogue. That was the era that you fall in love with racing. So they're probably all my favourite horses. Um, the more modern heroes are the ones that I've worked in and I appreciate greater. But I fell in love with some of those tough geldings. And what are they used to just race sort of wait for age race? You'd have let you know, vo rogue leading. Better loosen up chasing, superimpose was in there. There's you know, Prince Salieri, he had unbelievable horses. Let's alike zoomed in and zoomed out. I mean, unbelievable time of racing in the early and mid 90s. And those tough, tough, tough old geldings. Yeah, tough geldings, Pete, who I know we we're allowed to treat them differently back then, but tough mm. geldings who race sort of week in, week out. And for five or six seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Longevity is just brilliant, you know, so and that's why we probably admire Winx and thank God Enable, even though she's jogging around in three horse fields at the moment, um, thank God she's still racing, you know, mm. it's great that these, you know, flashy colts and I don't blame the owners who, you know, you win a golden slipper and then you, you know, you first up you win a golden rose or something and you're off to start, I don't blame the owners because it makes commercial sense, but gee, as racing fans, we love to see a gelding, as soon as they're gelded we go, Fantastic. We're going to see him for a number of years and fall in love with him. Do you think that Racing Victoria made the right call staying put, uh, keeping the races where they're traditionally run? Or do you think we missed out an opportunity that there was there that existed to put the Caulfield Cup after the Melbourne Cup and sort of rejig that calendar in what is obviously going to be a unique spring carnival? Well, I would have rejigged it and I said that on, on racing.com. Um, I've got a simple philosophy, always, always walk in the other man's shoes so I can understand... Um, looking through the lens of the Melbourne Racing Club, why they wanted to do it. Because I think um, they had a good win at Murder Glass last year in the Caulfield Cup. But I think that the Caulfield Cup gets lost. When you look at the Melbourne Cup, we had 12 horses, I think, in the recent Melbourne Cups who come out from Europe but don't run in the Caulfield Cup. So the ones that do tend to ever use it as a spin around to get ready for the Melbourne Cup. If I, if I wanted to make an unbelievable race out of the Caulfield Cup, if I was... Melbourne Racing Club, if we had to put it three weeks after the Melbourne Cup, you would think about, say, for example, last year, uh, Il Paradiso didn't run in a Caulfield Cup leading into a Melbourne Cup. It no doubt would have run 
in a Caulfield Cup after a Melbourne Cup. They go at the moment and have a spin around at um, Hong Kong, purely and simply because that's on their way back from a quarantine scenario back to Europe. We could have kept them in Australia some a couple of weeks after a Melbourne Cup. Think about rekindling. He arrived here, he won a Melbourne Cup, didn't see him again. He's now back in Europe. You think about those types of horses, cross count of the year, he won a Melbourne Cup. No doubt he'd won a Melbourne Cup. If there was a Caulfield Cup three weeks later or two weeks later, he would have gone for a spin around for $5 million. So the end result would have been a better race for the Caulfield Cup. That's purely looking at the lens of the Melbourne Racing Club. So I can understand why they wanted to make it move. The other reason why I agree with it is it would break my heart. I mean, we got, we've got a shocking scenario at the moment where we've got you know, 700 cases today that's just been reported in Victoria. So maybe we'll never have crowds at the, um, in the spring carnival. But can you imagine, Tom, a scenario whereby crowds are allowed to come back to the races on the 15th of November and we've run all our bloody good ones three weeks earlier? That would just give me the earth. Welcome back to uh, Anthony Mithen, who's rejoined the conversation uh, just in time. Richo, actually, Mitha, can you just mute your mic for a tick up because you're getting a lot of feedback here. But uh, Richo, before... There we go. Happy days. Uh, Richo, just while we're on that subject of the Spring Carnival, also, do you think that if they didn't do it this year, they're never going to do it? Because that's, that's what it feels like to me. Like, this was the opportunity to do it, and now we might have missed a chance... And we could have found that it worked so well that that would just become a new normal. Um, but now we've, we've kind of missed it because it does feel like there would have been so much more clear air at the back end of November to, to increase the eyeballs on racing and, and grow it as a sport. 100% agree, though. I, you know, I heard Mitho and Moods, I think you were agreeing with Mitho in the theory that the whole spring, the way it's set up, needed to move back. The reality is that's just never going to happen. VRC are never going to move the Melbourne Cup. They firmly believe that it needs to be on the first Tuesday in November. They believe it'll be a different race if it's the third Tuesday in November. I don't agree, but I respect um, their opinion on that. Um, if the whole spring did move back, it's an absolute no-brainer because it makes no sense for us to, to sort of be jammed up with the footy. Rod, you know, you know the amount of oxygen that the draft and also all the trade talk took out of last spring. So getting back in late November makes perfect sense from a marketing point of view. But I understand that the pattern of the sport needed to, to um, stay the same. However, that's not going to happen. So I still believe that Caulfield moving at the back end, I understand they would need to rejig the pattern and that would be something for someone a lot smarter than me. But there could be some scenarios where you see a three-year-old sprinter win a Coolmore and then a couple of weeks later, be stretched out to have a crack at a Caulfield Guineas. I mean, I, I think that would be mouthwatering. There's a couple of positives, and there'll be no doubt Mithel will give us a thousand negatives as to why it shouldn't happen <laughs> from a pattern point of view. I get all that, I concede it. But Rog, I'm an events guy. And from an event, give me you know, clear air for a Melbourne Cup on the third Tuesday in November, 22 degrees, as opposed to 16 degrees in pouring rain, as Moods had to walk in the mounting yard each and every day last year. Give me that every day of the week. Yeah, I tend to agree. And just before we let you go, Richo, uh, you wouldn't, you made your name really on SEN with KB at finding a roughie. Um, now, Mitha has his Rosemont roughies, which will be coming up in our Best Bet segment, but we can't let you go without giving us 
one for the weekend, which no doubt punters will get tonight on Get On anyway. That's exactly right. Out. Which I know you love tuning in each and every week. I and do. Thank you so much uh, for, the, for the beautiful little promo there. Hey, gee, I tell you what, this meeting at Mooney Valley, hope no one from the Valley is watching. I oh, know we love the Valley. But this is that flat one. Each and every year, oh. we have this little flat meeting. You're agreeing with me? Disappointing, Richo. Disappointing. It, I love this we have We had last week, which was fantastic. We've got the PB Lawrence next week. A couple of weeks later at the Menzies. This is that little... I don't want to say stinky, but this is that little stinky Saturday that we've had in the last few years. <laughs> There'll be a star come from this meeting, Richo. You watch out. Every year, there's a horse that wins a race on Saturday and it goes on to be a player during the spring. You'll, you'll see. Well, okay. Well, if Brooklyn I Hustles back this weekend. Um, Raf won the three-rod Phillies race, did nothing. Um, New, Universe, <laughs> New Universe defeated Pacadali, did nothing. <laughs> what else you got for me? Multijar came out of this race. It's gone on to be a group one place together. Came out of this meeting. In fact, that was three years ago. You're dead right. And in fact, Streets of Avalon won on this day in 2018 as well. Future so, group. You know, I just want to show you, I'm just trying to be an idiot and show that I've done some sort of research coming into this program. Um, looking for a roughie. Now, I had one that I had uh, identified here, standing by, uh, waiting for me to go through my notes on the nine races on this stinky card. You could have told me, Roger, you wanted me to give you a tip. Oh, that's I might... Actually, arguably, probably the highlight of the meeting is the return of uh, one of our leading riders, and if not our best rider, Damien Lane, back from his latest sojourn in Hong Kong, uh, Japan. Uh, the last few years, he's gone over there and really made a name for himself on the world stage, D-Lane. And has come back a better rider each and every year. And it'll be interesting to see what level he goes to this time round after absolutely annihilating the spring last year after his trip to Japan. I 100% agree. And also the other highlight will be uh, Sammy Friedman starts as a trainer. So Anthony and Sam Friedman have their first yep. ever runners as a trainer. And straight away, I look at your beautiful girls, Pete. Who is going to join the PG Moody? Peter and... No, Moody. I think it'll... it'll no, there's no, none of my family are going to kick off. I also see Ken and Kelsey Keys uh, join forces uh, this weekend as well. So it, it, it's really becoming the norm. Uh, I think uh, my racing manager, Jeff O'Connor, and my assistant trainer, Catherine Coleman, will have three names in the race book maybe in years to come. But uh, my girls are just happy to clap from the sidelines. Fair the, girls, the girls know better than to get involved with Dad in this situation. They're too smart <laughs> for this. I'll go my roughie of the day We're looking for value will be in race number seven uh, Chris Waller will saddle up two runners Polly Gray will be the favourite Miramar will probably lead Mohamed Ayas will be in the market But a horse who's now fifth up for the prep Ran the fastest And I wrote this down so I'd have a note for you Rog Ran the fastest last 634-1 At last start behind Credence And he's finally ready And he's 15 bucks Dirty Sir Pippin is ready to run a good race. Mm. Sir Pippin. Well, I, I don't. I, my best bet of the, of the day is in that race too. So uh, that's unfortunate because you're better at it than I am. So oh. <laughs> who's your best bet? <laughs> no, I really like Mahama Dais. I thought it was uh, terrific last week, and it, it has got a winning form at the Valley before. But um, yeah, I'll probably I probably trust you. As I, um, as I, oh, as I dismount, I've never 
had a more engaging conversation with Mitho than I have during this little one. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing that because he's, he's obviously on it. Take it off now, Slick. We're still getting that feedback, Mitho, because I mean, you've been, it's yeah. been like a mime here. Well, a few technical difficulties at my end at uh, Chateau de Rosemont, uh, Richo. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's me. I haven't called it, buddy. Mitho on the mic, and you weren't even there, you dribbler. Oh, Mitho's been calling it Mitho on the mic for bloody two years. <laughs> so disappointing. So disappointing. Us, 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 new nuts need to stick together. Anyway, absolutely. Hey, great to catch up, boys. I absolutely love what you're doing. It's a lot of fun. I tune in each and every week. Well, I've enjoyed the listen, Richo. It wasn't a chat, but I listened a lot and I learned a lot. Did you and really? I, yeah, programming and where the races should be run and what month and call more into the guineas and. Yeah, the world according to Richo. I enjoyed it. Oh, you haven't got a, you haven't got another hour. I can go through each of the fifty-two steps to glory in a co- in my uh, store gift. Have you? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <you>, Richo. <laughs> Get more from your same race multi with Ladbrokes. For the first time, Ladbrokes Same Race Multi allows you to combine picks from the same thoroughbred, harness, or greyhound race to get even greater odds. Same Race Multi allows you to choose the finishing positions of multiple runners to finish anywhere in the top four. Ladbrokes, back yourself. T's and C supply. See ladbrokes.com.au for details. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Best bets time on Moody on the mic for the final time before we take a little break and come back for the Memsy. Um, let's kick it off with the resident Rain Man himself. I found a bit of value with my best bet for this weekend, Rog, at the Valley. Very excited for this meeting, as I said to Richo. One of the most underrated meetings of this season. I mean, race three, number one, a beautiful night. It's a $9 chance. I think it's a horse that's perfectly suited to the Valley. Won the Blue Diamond preview as a two-year-old. It's just got a heap of early feed, this horse. So, the 1,000 metres of the Valley is perfect. It's got a wide draw with young apprentice Will Price in the saddle. I think Price will ride it aggressively here, take it straight to the front. It'll give its rivals something to chase here at the Valley. So, I think $9 well and truly over the odds here. All right. Well, as I mentioned already, when we had Richo on, my best is in the same race as his uh, value bet, and that is Muhammad Ayas in race seven, number one at the Valley. Uh, Peter Moody. Uh Rog, um, <clears throat> on what looks a, a bit of a plain race day on Saturday, I think not to be lost and important for this meeting, not only is it a, at the opening of the new racing season, but it is Jockey Celebration Day. And a lot of the races here on Saturday named after riders that we've lost in recent seasons doing a job they love. And that's certainly not to be forgotten in any way, shape or form. And also, uh, we lost a good mate to racing uh, late last week also in Rob Gaylard, uh, who was suddenly taken from us. Rob was a bloke uh, loved by all and sundry in racing. Uh, he was the voice of racing for a lot of years uh, throughout the length and breadth of Australia. And uh, to lose him and to see a race uh, recognised by him uh, by the Moody Valley Racing Club on Saturday is certainly very fitting. Um, for me to find a winner, unfortunately, the Moody Stable are having a quiet weekend uh, this week. We haven't got any runners, so we're, we're having the day off. But uh, I thought Patrick Payne and Billy Egan, they've had a massive season across Victoria uh, this past year. And uh, Billy Egan with a season's best. And I think Paddy probably nearly likewise uh, winning races day in, day out, the length and breadth of Victoria. And I reckon they'll kick off the season in good shape. Race three, horse three, Mr. Divine M. Uh, is my best for the day at the Valley. 
You're just on mute there, Rog. So um, I'm assuming that uh, you're throwing to me or you're making comment about some um, moves. I was going to say... Uh, way to get to a, a best bet, but I, 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 I concur with his thoughts about those fallen jockeys and uh, also Rob Gallard, who uh, I worked with um, as a teenager back years ago at K-Rock. He gave me a gig in there to uh, be... It was my first um, first gig in electronic media, believe it or not. So um, he's a he's a great man, uh, was a great man, Rob Gallard, and a uh, great send-off for him yesterday. So, yeah. Um, now, uh, Tommy, you can just mute yourself because you're giving us lots of feedback now. It might be my computer, I'm not sure. But my best bet comes up. The Rosemont Ruffy is going to be race four, number four, Brooklyn Hustle. She's back, baby. Uh, the daughter of Star Spangled Banner. Uh, back to the Valley for the first time since she made her debut uh, going back nearly, well, it'll be 18 months ago now, where she beat Yes, Yes, Yes in scintillating fashion. Uh, she's had... Not a lot of luck since. She's had some health issues. Uh, this has been an unbelievable prep for her. She hasn't put a foot wrong. And uh, she is back baby in a big way. So um, I reckon, uh, Rain Man, we're looking at about, your, what are we, six, seven, seven to four? Yeah, $2.70 at the moment, Mitho. Uh, clear favourite here. Yep, so I'm pretty happy to uh, take those odds about her and, and, and back that she's come back bigger and better than ever after a trouble-free prep the first time in her life. So um, hopefully Brooklyn Hustle can fly the Rosemont flag high there at the Valley on Saturday. Outstanding stuff. Well, that is uh, it, as we mentioned. We're going to take a couple of weeks break here on Moody on the Mic and, uh, and get back before the Memsey and just really get into a big spring yet again. It's hard to believe uh, the spring carnival is almost upon us. It's going to be a very different spring carnival this year, but uh, still quality races and quality horses nonetheless. Uh, but uh, to take us out, as always, we'll uh, get our fearless leader to take over. It's been a great year, boys, uh, on the racetrack. Not so much in our personal lives the last few months with this COVID-19 issue, but... Uh, it's been great working with you. Great show during the past racing season. Very much look forward to the one coming up. And more importantly, punters, owners, trainers and jockeys, let fast horses run fast. Ladbrokes, back yourself.